1: Hey, it's Cindy Howes and Lizzie No
0: from the podcast Basic Folk. Honest conversations with folk musicians. Basic folk is truly changing the game with our well-researched deep dives that aim to empower the listener while fostering the folk community. I basically am writing worship music for youth group rejects. Maternal regrets and maternal guilt are universal. I try to make things that are beautiful and that are made with like a purity of intention. You can listen to basic folk on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network or at basicfolk.com.
2: Oh boy, as many of you know, during this pandemic, my anxiety was at an all-time high, especially with so much time on screens. And so during all of this, I discovered the most amazing solution. It is these incredible blue light blocking glasses called Blue Blocks. I wear their sleep plus ones at night when I'm watching screens and I have just noticed a massive difference in the quality, not only of my sleep, but of my daytime anxiety for me sometimes during this pandemic. And honestly, I have paid for these lenses with my own money. You know, there's a lack of science behind a lot of the blue light blocking glasses and brands you can find on Amazon. Other companies have these like mass produced products, but they have no understanding about how light impacts health. And that's one of the things I love about Blue Blocks is how much research they've done and how they are evidence backed. I've been using them now for over a year and I'm just so excited to share them with all of you. They are great for days. I wear them on set all the time, even when I'm not on my screen, but I just like love how chic they make me look, especially when I'm not in the mood to wear makeup or do my hair. I still look totally fashionable. And I also love that they give back. They work in partnership with Restoring Vision in their Buy One Gift campaign. And so for each pair of Blue Blocks glasses, they donate a pair of reading glasses to someone in need. And I just love companies that also give back. So... Everybody, if you want to get your energy back, if you want to sleep better, block out the unhealthy effects of blue light on your mental health, on your physical health, then you need Blue Blocks. You can get free shipping worldwide and 15% off by going to blueblocks.com harmonics or enter code harmonics at checkout. That's Blue Blocks, B L U. B-L-O-X dot com slash harmonics for 15% off or just use the code harmonics. Oh my gosh, you guys, I am so excited about today's guest. You are going to thank me. Your brain is going to thank me. Your heart is going to thank me because All your dreams are going to come true after listening to this. Today, we have on Dr. Tara Swart. I met Dr. Tara thanks to my dear friend, Lacey Phillips, the founder of the manifestation program, To Be Magnetic. She also has her own amazing podcast called Expanded, which is where I first had the pleasure of being introduced to Dr. Tara. She is the neuroscience and psychological advisor at To Be Magnetic. But she is also a badass neuroscientist, medical doctor, executive advisor, senior lecturer at MIT, and author of the bestseller, The Source, which has translations in 36 global territories. You guys, I read this book cover to cover in one day. Like after I heard her on Expanded Podcast, I bought the book right away on my Kindle, read it cover to cover, and have since read and reread and practiced all the work in her book and the tools every day, and it has changed my life. You are welcome because this episode is going to give you all the things that you need to accomplish everything you wanna do in life and that you deserve to do in life because we all deserve to see our dreams come true and to keep our brain in optimal health and our bodies. And I just can't wait to see what you think of this amazing episode with now my dear friend, Dr. Tara Swart. Hi, Beth.
0: It's like meeting a long-lost relative.
2: (laughs) Dr. Tara and I have been social media friends. Well, really, I discovered her the moment she was on Lacey Phillips' To Be Magnetic Expanded podcast. I bought the source that day on Kindle. The source is her amazing book read it in one day, which I'm not usually like a read a book in one day person. And then from that point on, I follow you religiously on social media. I love everything you put out. So thank you so much for doing this.
0: Well, I love the fact that on one of your little videos, you said if I could have been something else, I would have been a neuroscientist.
2: And I love that you said on one of your interviews that you might've wanted to be an actress. We need to swap, we should swap, yeah. We could do like a Freaky Friday situation where we just step in, except they'd want all these medical terms and I'd be like, the brain, (laughs) neuroplasticity, those are the two words I know. (laughs) That's, the second one is quite impressive. Thank you. Well, I guess to start with, just how are you holding up in these crazy times? I feel like that's sort of the, what I wanna ask everyone just because, you know, we're pretty honest on this podcast about how you're feeling.
0: Well, thank you for asking. I've definitely had ups and downs, but I would say that, and this is, you know, is, is a connection to the book, but not for the sake of it, which is that all the resilience tools that I've cultivated over the years, because I understand how the brain works has definitely
2: helped me. Yes, absolutely. So you've been able to like the resilience you've been able to not fall off of the tools that you've used because they're just such a consistent part of your life during this?
0: That's such a good way of putting it. So it's it's kind of like when you do all that hard work on a consistent basis, it's uh, you see when it really serves you because in normal life, you don't really see. And right. then when something goes wrong, you kind of, you know, like things like sleeping eight hours a night, I just always do that, that. It just can't change. I, I just wake up like, at the same time every single day. And actually regular sleep and wake times are important as well for our resilience, not just getting like eight hours and 15 minutes, which is the ideal. And you know, in the spirit of being really honest, I have had, I would say, quite a hard version of, of being locked down because um, my husband is vulnerable, so I've had to shield him.
2: Oh wow.
0: And I would say that that has been the biggest drain on my brain. I mean, obviously, it's my absolute privilege to do it. But in terms of the anxiety around protecting the person that you love, it has really been challenging.
2: I can't imagine the stress. What's been the one thing that helps you?
0: Well, I discovered this actually in the last year. So um, I was, you know, kind of coping quite well. And then I went for my annual bloods. And I fully expected them to all be at least a bit worse than they were the year before, just because I know what the effects of chronic stress, you know, the surge and that hormone cortisol, I know what it does to your immunity, to your heart, um, bloods and everything. So I thought it's okay, it's going to be a bit worse, but that's completely understandable. And I even said it to my family doctor as she was taking the blood. I said, you know, I'm sort of not looking forward to seeing the effects of stress on my system. And she said to me, don't overvalue the effects of stress on the system. Value your resilience. Wow. Yeah. She's amazing. Um, you know, and even just someone saying that to you kind of has a good effect. But so I got the results and they were all a bit better than the year before. And we're not getting any younger. So <laughs> um, I think having to cook three meals a day definitely, you know, from scratch contributed to that. And, you know, I do all organic and I grow some of my own, but I was speaking to my ex-husband, who's still a doctor, and he said, look, let me go through all of them with you and explain it in detail, because I haven't been practicing physician for 13 years. And at the end of it, he said, do you do a lot of mindfulness? Because I used to do regular meditation when I was still married to him. And I said, not so much formal, but I lived my whole life in a mindful way. Wow. So to me, the things that have really contributed to that are three things, all to do with mindfulness, One is mindful eating. So you have an opportunity three times a day to do mindfulness just when you're sitting down to eat. So basically, this sounds quite extreme, but I don't talk when I'm eating, but my husband
1: talks the whole time, so I don't have to. (laughs) That's me. My husband would prefer I don't talk the whole time when I'm eating, but I totally do. I would normally prefer that mine didn't, but I was
0: like, that's okay, because it means I don't have to. I can just sit here and nod. And... Because part of my mindfulness is paying proper attention. So when my husband speaks to me, I don't look at my phone. I don't do anything else. I give him 100% of my attention. And I found that because I was working from the kitchen table for most of the year, that you know he would just come up to me all the time and start talking. And I'd be in the middle of a work email. And before I would have got annoyed, but now, I thought to myself, what's more important, this email, which I can finish in two minutes time, or my husband feeling like I'm paying him full attention. And I would properly like turn and be really nice. Whereas, you know, sometimes you can just be like, what is it? Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I sort of, you know, twice in the last year, I would say that I've had to say, look, darling, I am working on something and I can't be constantly interrupted. But so mindful eating, paying attention, Mindful walking. So, we're also very lucky. We're on 29 acres and we have our own woods and everything. So, oh, that's my dream. <laughs>
2: oh, wow.
0: Well, a horse is my dream. We completely need to switch
1: lives. Yes, please. Or just bring my horses to you <laughs> and I'll come hang
0: out. That would be so nice. Um, and then the other thing is, and I was talking to Lacey about this, is because human touch is so important to our well being. Yeah. And in a regular day, you know, in a regular world, I would have come and met you and we would have done this in the studio and we would have hugged. And so you could even just shake hands with eight or 10 people a day in your normal life. And we're not getting that. So I also pay a lot of attention to like holding hands, like stroking my husband's hair or, you know, his arm or whatever. And the thing about compassion and kindness is it has a benefit for your own brain. So it's the only area where it's okay to be selfish so when i'm like stroking him i'm like this is really good for me
2: too (laughs) and mindful walking and eating is that is it just not having the distraction of a phone or a podcast or music or talking is it's just being in the moment as you're taking each bite or being in the moment as each foot lands on the ground okay Completely. Well, first, I just want to say before we get into your incredible work that I was telling Dr. Tara before we got on to record that I have done, I started doing Lacey Phillips to be magnetic work right when she first put it out years ago and it changed my life. And I've been on her expanded podcast and talked about all the things that I manifested. But when you came on as a scientist who was able to break it down on that level. Like you said, I've always been sort of a science nerd. So for me, it just blew my mind. And I have so many like personal deep dive questions that I want to ask you. Maybe we'll have to do a part two, because I know a lot of my listeners, they hear the word manifestation or um, getting what you want in your life. or And it's kind of hippie, woo woo. Um, it might not resonate or somebody thinks, you know, there's something about someone saying that who has privilege, like you, mm-hmm. you're privileged that you have the time to devote to manifestation or whatever that is. So I guess first I'd love for you to tell people just your story and your background of how you went from being a doc- medical doctor into writing this book and finding sort of the research you've done. And then also let's break it down. Like what is manifestation and neuroplasticity from a scientific standpoint? <laughs> We'll definitely get there. Lacey
0: had come onto my radar the previous fall when I was doing my US book launch. Wow. Um, Yeah. So she claims she manifested me, but I claim I manifested her. (laughs) It was a
2: dual, a duo (laughs) manifestation. Yeah. Um,
0: So, but I had, you know, believed in manifesting for a long time prior to that. So my story is that I'm the first child of first-generation Indian immigrant parents to the UK. And so I grew up with, you know, where I talk about mindful eating, we had to pause and offer our food to God before we could take the first mouthful. So it's so entrenched in my neural pathways that I always pause before I start eating. And that's the beginning of my mindful eating. I'm not religious, but that mindful eating thing just doesn't go away, which I feel is like such a gift. Um, But when I was a kid, I I didn't really like eating Ayurvedic food and chanting and having incense in our home and coming home to find my parents in a headstand because I just (laughs) wanted to be normal and fit in. So I really, as a child, separated those two things. I was kind of, you know, like an English school kid at school. And then I had this whole... Indian thing going on at home, which now I think of as such a rich cultural heritage. I mean, it was really nice when yoga became mainstream to kind of feel like, yeah, I I completely know what that is. I've seen it, I understand it, Um, you know, maybe even understand it in a different way to the mainstream version of it. Um, Right. So my parents really, really wanted me to be a doctor. It's like every Indian parent's dream. Um, But as you said, I, I wanted to be an actress and actually my English teacher in high school said, you're so good, you should go and read English at Oxford and then go to RADA. Wow. And when I told my father, he literally said, over my dead body. Um,
2: No way. Yeah. It's never too late. We can manifest (laughs) you coming to Hollywood. I'll help.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That would be so funny Um, and great. Maybe we could do a neuroscience show or something. I want a two-person neuroscience <laughs> show on stage in New York or something, <laughs> it would be awesome. Totally. So,
0: so I, was, you know, I was good at math and science, but I was actually also really good at languages and good at geography and history. So, but because that, that was the path that was laid out for me, I made it make sense. I was like, I'm good at science, I should go to medical school like my parents want me to and actually i really blossomed at medical school so that was a, a good sign and quite early on i realized that the neuro part of everything to me was just endlessly fascinating neuroanatomy i mean you know i had the privilege of between six medical students we had a whole human body somebody who donated their body to for medical students to learn and it took us a year to dissect that body. And I've seen everything inside a body, like, you know, how it fits together, what it looks like, and it's incredible.
2: Wow, that's so cool.
0: And at the end of the year, you'll love this, we had to take (laughs) a chainsaw and saw the skull open and get the brain out. And the next year was dissecting through the brain centimeter by centimeter, making microscope slides. So, you know, a huge, huge privilege, but a really deep understanding as well
2: oh my God, I would love to see the brain. Yeah. I, that's, oh, that's so cool. But medicine, you were, you were good at it and you were intrigued by it and all the things, but it eventually did not serve what you felt like your purpose was. Is that?
0: Yeah, I didn't, it wasn't as conscious as that. So I think it was more a steady disillusionment. Um, you know, I became a psychiatrist rather than a neurologist. So I was seeing a revolving door of patients who just, you know, whose lives were just so broken and they couldn't, they did not have the resources to make it better. And often I said, if I could just bottle a loving partner, I'd be out of a job, but you know, I was dealing with people who, who didn't have a job, their families kind of didn't really want that much to do with them. They didn't, you know, couldn't maintain relationships. If they had children, their children were taken away from them. I'd seen humans at the lowest that they could be at. And, you know, some of the times it was somebody who'd had a breakup and tried to kill themselves. And, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, I've worked with murderers and rapists who were in locked wards and things. So quite a spectrum. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. um, But you know, again, amazing neuroplasticity work already in terms of teaching remorse to rapists and things. So I would started to see these glimmers of what you could do if you could really nurture a brain. So as well as seeing what went wrong in the worst case, I was more attracted to the, wow, you can teach a rapist remorse. That's incredible. And just for the listeners, can we
1: just do a quick definition of neuroplasticity? Sure. Neuroplasticity
0: is the ability of the brain to change and grow throughout our lives. Our brains are actually really, really malleable. So everything you experience, every emotion, every smell, every person that you meet, every memory that you recall is is sculpting your brain in real time. And so, you know, the end of the story really is where I came to write about the fact that you can be the sculptor of your brain rather than letting life happen to you. But It came through that clinical experience of seeing people at their worst and at the time being very privileged, being young, being happily married, being a doctor, traveling the world. And then there was a two year period of disillusionment about my career. And then my marriage fell apart at the same time. So suddenly I was no longer married after 11 years. I had decided to change career and I moved back from the country I was living in then to the UK and started a completely different job whilst paying to do my coaching course and went from being a really senior doctor to being absolutely at the bottom of the pile of people that want to do coaching. So quite a crisis time for me. And what I remember thinking then is, If I didn't know what I know from neuroscience and psychiatry, I can see how people could end up on a psychiatric ward because the emotions are so extreme and overwhelming. And really that was the time that kind of at the lowest point of that time, how I describe it as when I was flat on the floor, which I literally was at times, but metaphorically speaking, I suddenly realized how determined I am. And funnily enough, I've seen that again in the last year with really silly things. Like I pulled the tray out of the fridge and then couldn't put it back in. And my, my husband was like, you've broken the fridge. This is impossible. <laughs> and, and then I sat there for a really long time until I got it back in again. And and he was like, did you actually fix it? And I, I said, yeah. And I remember thinking I am not leaving, sitting on the floor here in front of the fridge until I fix this because I know it's possible. So I'm just going to keep doing it. I mean, I suppose I'm a bit stubborn, but that determination thing, as soon as I consciously realized when life is really, really, really tough, my determination kind of comes up like a phoenix. It sort of made me feel like, okay, whatever happens, I know I've got resources. And that is such an amazing feeling.
2: Oh my God. I have so many questions about I mean, we've all I mean, everybody who's listening can relate to times in our lives where we've been flat on the floor. Mm -hmm. And I think what you just said about determination is something that I think is so um, can be taken in both ways. Right. Like in America, it's like we we live to work as opposed to like work to live. And so sometimes that determination can burn us out. Mm -hmm. But then there's also this kind of person like you who's like, no, I'm going to sit And I'm going to focus probably also because of all your mindfulness as well. And I'm going to put that tray back in. And it's like the motivation is almost intrinsic. And with mental health, too, I think, especially right now during COVID, people are feeling so. Because there's no end in sight, there's almost this hopelessness and this Mm -hmm. like it's so hard, I feel like, to get that determination to want to build on something when everything feels so unknown. But like you Mm -hmm. said, I think that's when it's most important to do it and most important to like build on that resilience, right?
0: Well, you know, let me be clear, I'm not sitting around kind of creating a new brand or learning a new (laughs) language, I'm not like,
1: you're lovely.
0: <laughs> I have actually started
2: learning piano. I'll tell you about that later. I tried to learn the banjo for about three months and did really well. And then I went back to work and my poor banjo has been sitting. I, I barely play it. It's so sad. I
0: saw that you were doing that. That was quite a few months ago. Okay, let's because
2: <laughs> I started piano
0: using the Floki app. And oh, I was like, yeah, I've heard of that. So it's so good and it's intuitive. So at first I was like, I'm so good at this. And then once I got into the like deeper scales, I was like, my hands don't work in that way. Like I can't do this. And, and that's a neuroplasticity journey. Hey, this isn't as bad as I thought it was gonna be. Actually it's worse than I thought it was ever gonna be. And I want to give up and then no, I'm gonna go back to it and you know, repetition and motivation. And so that's, that's all neuroplasticity. And I laugh at myself every time I go through a neuroplasticity journey, cause I'm like, oh, yeah, that same pattern is happening again no matter what you do um
2: is it easier to recognize like and to like sort of calm yourself or like give yourself reassurance because you know what's happening or are mm-hmm. you still like in the in the weeds of it all it takes a little while but then i recognize it for what it is and that's, and that's funny yeah okay so let's talk about how do we go about teaching how to neuroplasticity how we can do it for ourselves so just to keep it really simple, the way that I decided to lay
0: out the book is um, there is a quite a dense scientific chapter on the unfolding of the brain from a fetus through to adulthood. Um, Which I then, loved as a nerd. I know. <laughs> I was surprised how many people loved that actually because I thought maybe, I almost thought, okay, for some people you don't really have to read that chapter. The, the rest of it's more practical, but people... I think this whole thing that you said about manifestation, when it's based on science that you can actually grasp and is within your control because it's the way that you think, it's that's quite a game changer. Um, so it really starts with neuroplasticity. Means your brain is way more incredible than you've ever realized, and you can reach a much higher potential. And you know how people say, "Live your best life." Neuroplasticity actually <laughs> means that you can live your best life, and and so you know part of that is you being in the driver's seat of your life rather than letting life happen to you. Then I do write about the laws of attraction, which obviously some people kind of thought really as scientists writing about the laws of attraction. <laughs> but that's how I started researching the book. And I was, I was in France on a summer holiday and I'd taken my laptop, but I'd taken the wrong charger. So I got to a point where it ran out and I couldn't use my laptop. And I saw that as a sign from the universe. So I just did a lot of thinking and then my stepson brought my charger out. So I had like one week and I'd done all the thinking without a laptop. I looked up all the, all the information about the laws of attraction and there isn't even really agreement about what they all are. Um, so I distilled it down to six principles that could absolutely be explained by science. I was amazed at how easy it was to explain the laws of attraction with cognitive science. But if you think about it, where it's always been talked about like frequencies and quantum science, if manifestation is the way that you think attracts things into your life, then if it's about thinking, it should be about cognitive science, which is psychology and neuroscience. And if it's about changing the way you think, then it should be about neuroplasticity. So actually that was not difficult to convince myself and then to put it in a way that was really understandable for people.
2: I mean, it's so beautifully laid out in the book, too. That it's such, um, it's like you said, there's such a, a groundedness to the book that I feel like is universal, that everybody can relate to because you start with the science. And then also, anybody who's spiritual, I think you do a beautiful job as well, blending science, spirituality, and sort of the, the work, or whatever you want, to, the action steps, mm-hmm. um, which are wonderful. I, I look at my action board every day. But, um, <laughs> okay, so so should we go over the, the six principles? Like how, how can one begin to do your work on the most like basic, they're a first timer, they've never tried the law of attraction, or even if they have, they just, they want to commit to this, to giving mm-hmm. it a shot. So the first thing is just taking
0: some time, whether it's a whole weekend or even just an hour or two, To step back from the distraction of life and set some kind of intention like even just a theme it doesn't have to be a specific goal but we never take that time so you know i think intention the intention setting process is really important and then the first principle is abundant thinking and the reason for that is that our evolutionary wiring is that we're two and a half times as likely to focus on avoiding a loss than we are on getting a reward. So if you think about when we lived in the cave, if you wanted to go hunting and catch an animal to eat, but you thought you'd get chased by a saber toothed tiger, you wouldn't go. You'd rather starve than risk, you know, starve for a longer period of time till you could find other food. So um, the classic example of this is if you dropped $20 out of your pocket on the way to the shops, you'd be sort of, you know, beating yourself up and trying to find it on the sidewalk (laughs) for quite a while. But if you found $20 on the sidewalk, you would like feel a a short reward. You might keep it, you might give it to a homeless person, but you wouldn't be thinking about that for the rest of the day. Oh my gosh, I found $20, that's so amazing. But if you lost it, you would be berating yourself for the rest of the day. In the modern world, that kind of loss of avoidance doesn't serve us as well because we won't take even healthy risks. We're less likely to trust and collaborate and all the kinds of things that bring good things into our life. So cultivating positive thinking. And it's it's interesting because there's a really old Buddhist saying that is replace every negative thought with a positive thought. And neuroplasticity is all about repetition and overwriting pathways in your brain. You can't unlearn negative thinking, like you can't unlearn Spanish, but you can replace the negative thinking with positive thinking so much that that becomes the default pathway in your brain. The brain will do the thing that uses up the least energy. So if you've spent three times as much time thinking positively than negatively, that will eventually become the way that you think. So I think, you know, even that determination thing, which is, this is impossible, no, I'm gonna have a go at trying to do this, is cultivated through that kind of thinking. Um, The next step is actually manifestation, which is believing that if you change your thought patterns, which then leads on to you changing the way that you behave, and as in Lacey's work, this is obviously connected to changing subconscious beliefs as well, that you can prime your brain to notice and grasp opportunities that you might not have noticed because you're busy doing the day job, putting food on the table, you know, attending to your kids, whatever. So an action board, like you mentioned, is basically what people call a vision board. But if you create it by hand and it's got a representation of what you want in your life and you look at it every day and you visualize it coming true, then when you're outside walking, you're more likely to notice something that could move you close to that goal. You're more likely to network. You're more likely to date. You're more likely to chase up some information about starting your own business. Whereas that idea of sitting on the couch and thinking, you know, I'm gonna start my own business and make a million dollars, but not doing anything towards it is, that's, that's what I was kind of against as a scientist. The third principle is magnetic desire. And so that is about your basic human emotions. Because it can't be like, well, I want to be married because everyone else is getting married and I want a baby because all my friends have babies. It's got to be something that you really want deep down that's aligned in your brain, your heart and your gut. So your logic, your emotions and your intuition. It's when we're misaligned that we think, why isn't this working out for me? But it's usually because it's not really, really what you want.
2: Can I ask you a question about that, Mm. just with my own experience doing Mm. your work with The Magnetic Desire? I've noticed as you do this work more, there's sort of like it gets to a point where when you're cultivating that emotional life of what it is you want, it kind of comes to sort of a universal principle, at least for me, it has of like, Mm -hmm. wow, gratitude, like I'm so grateful for everything I already have. Mm -hmm. But then there's sort of a loss of the motivation or the determination, at least on my end, just speaking openly and honestly on this podcast, because I do that. But it's come to a point for me, at least at this point, where I'm also sort of like not in a shameful way. Why do you need more? But more like I have my health, I have my family and maybe this is COVID. I have a place to live. And so I don't feel guilt or shame about like wanting to manifest more, but it's almost like a question of like, why does one need more, Mm -hmm. you know? But then it's also like, well, everybody, you know, I I miss then having, I was always so ambitious and I'm like, where, where did that go? Like, where did the, well, I think that's definitely
0: a lot of people have had that challenge this year because staying motivated in a year where you're getting no mental stimulation is not easy at all. Um, But I do actually write about that in the book, which is that we're always so busy chasing the next thing that we never stop to appreciate what we've actually achieved or, you know, what we've done. So and, you know, I do a lot of my consulting work is all with hedge funds. And one of the things that actually, you know, one of the guys I coach told me is that you can have a billion dollars or ten billion dollars, but if you don't think it's enough, you, you won't be happy. And so a huge problem is people never thinking they have enough. I remember I'm really into vision boards, but one of my friends saying that as a couple, they do these big long-term goals and, you know, they do like 10 years into the future. And I was like, I never do that because I've kind of learned that life doesn't always go to plan. So I'm not going to do something too long-term because I'd rather be more like responsive to what happens. Um, And they sort of looked at each other like I was crazy you know, how could you not be having these big plans, but then I thought they're a bit younger than me. And I thought you probably want a big house, a nice car, really like nice holidays and to become really successful in your career. And I was kind of like, I'm happy with how much I've got of those things already. I don't really need a bigger house or another car. So I think it's a balance. I'd hate to think that I'm at the point where I, you know, I won't have any ambitions for new things, but, I think it's so important what you've said, that you,
2: you c- cannot just always be wanting more. I After this conversation with you though, though I'm getting very inspired to like go back and sort of, I, I look at my action board every day and those things, but it's like you said, it's like, I look at those things and I'm like, that would be wonderful. But also like, I'm pretty freaking lucky and I feel very grateful for what I have been given already. And so, yeah, I'm glad you said that it's like, that I might, I'll, I'll get some ambition back <laughs> at some point.
0: Let, let's look at the other end of the spectrum because I think this is a, p- a potential criticism of manifestation work is like, if you're a single mum on the minimum wage and you know, you've got three kids in a small space, how can, how can she do manifestation? Like it's easy for us to say, oh, I've got enough, right. I don't need to do manifestation. What I truly believe is that everyone can do something to make their life a little bit better. Um, Interestingly, my husband said to me the other day, "Oh, this guy, he knows, he said, you know, he's Mr. Bad Luck. And I was like, darling, Mr. Bad Luck is Mr. Bad Choices. So even if it's not letting your ex harass you, not letting people put you down, cooking a healthier meal, just, you know, making time to do that, those little things start to make your brain grow more abundant, you know, the advice I give to people, you know, in general is drink more water, go to bed half an hour earlier, walk a thousand extra steps. But it's because those micro habits actually feed your brain. But, you know, the first time you say no to somebody
2: treating you badly, talking to you badly, that massively grows your brain. And then you build on that, right? So it's like if you do it once, your brain, it's starting to rewire. And then the more you enforce that habit is when the actual neuroplasticity can Rewire and take place. Yeah. What are you ashamed of? Unshaming is a podcast that explores the stories of shame through intimate, vulnerable, and raw conversations. Each episode seeks to elevate an underrepresented community that has been silenced by shame for far too long. Although the show's premise surrounds shame, the show is ultimately about overcoming shame. These inspiring stories will compel you to ask yourself... How can I bring my whole self into the world? You can listen to Unshaming on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, so the magnetic that that was that was principle two or three. Where are <laughs> three, we? Three. three. <laughs> <laughs> that was
0: magnetic desire. So that's you know an understanding of the basic human motions and the emotions and the hormones that they correlate to, which I've written about in the book. So like stress with cortisol oxytocin with bonding etc then the next one is really interesting because it's patience and to me this completely matches up with Lacey's um magic dark yes so this is the time where you have made your vision board looked at it every day and even like been proactive and nothing is happening and you're feeling like giving up and the image for me is that guy that you know that cartoon of the guy who's three feet away from digging for gold and the gold is you know is there and he gives up so that difficult period that you have to get through is perfectly explained by neuroscience because when you are changing your beliefs and thought patterns you're literally physically creating new pathways in the brain neurons are connecting up with each other that is hard work it's like lifting weights or running a marathon so you're Brain is like using up more of your food, you're more tired, you're more hungry, and you're sleeping more, you're demotivated. It's like, it's completely like if you were trying to grow your muscles, you know that that's rerouting resources to your muscles. Well, when you're manifesting, you're rerouting resources to your brain. So it you know has a physical effect on your body. And so if all that psychological hard work goes on and you see no results, but when that pathway becomes stronger than the old pathway. It's like a sudden tipping point. You know, there's a critical mass of neurons that have connected, and it, it feels like the things that you were, uh, you know, were on your board, things that you're calling in, suddenly they start happening, and you think it's a coincidence, but it's not. It's because you're better at saying no. It's because you have maybe a bit more aggressively gone, you know, for a promotion that you would have just said, "Oh, I don't think they really want me." So. It's so fascinating, even as a neuroscientist, to see that happen, Or I'm like, this is never going to happen. <laughs> and, uh, and then, then the, you know, then I'll be sort of saying to my husband, oh, you're not going to believe what happened.
2: <laughs> and that period can last a while, right? Mm. I mean, it can. I know Lacey talks about it. It can last as long as it, it can last. You just have to develop your trust muscle. To to yeah. know and and recognize what's happening, and it helps with you with the science behind it to actually understand what your brain is doing. I think.
0: Yeah, I was a bit shocked the first time I heard Lacy say how long it could last. Um, so if we remember that repetition and emotional intensity are the strongest drivers of building these new pathways, then maybe there are little things we can do to speed it along a little bit and. I always find that those small wins along the way become very cumulative and make me believe that the bigger thing can happen. So I think it's about focusing on that. And then the last two are harmony and universal connection. I didn't write too much about universal connection. It was 2018 when I was writing the book. And you know, being an MIT professor, I was taking a bit of a risk going into the spirituality territory. So I wasn't quite ready to really Delve into that, but you know, it's basically the fact that we're part of a collective consciousness, and that you know what I think actually has some sort of material impact on you and vice versa. Um, I mean, we kind of know that because even the things that we've written to each other on social media have, have been so like encouraging and positive. So you know that that has an impact that this person who I haven't met yet is wishing so much good stuff for me. Like that's more tangible. But of course, there could be people out there that aren't saying to you that they're wishing good things for you, but they are. And you know equally with Lacey's work, um I changed the terminology from uh, psychic trespassing, I changed it to negative energy transfer just to make mm-hmm. it more scientific, which is you know, that person that is a bit jealous of you doesn't really want to see you shining so bright doing so well. Um, so you've got to be aware that that stuff does have an impact on you even if you're not conscious of it sometimes. You feel it in your body, but you, you don't really know what it means. Um, and the harmony piece is just that, if you know, if you believe in abundance, there are enough resources out there for everyone, but you must not do something that, you know, will disadvantage someone else. So you must not try to manifest something that's bad for someone else.
2: As a scientist, this is like fascinating to me. You said earlier in the conversation, something about, I'm not religious, like it's not religious and I'm so fascinated by it. And everybody's like, you just think about this too much. Just this, just let it go. But we're starting to talk about having a family. And I've been thinking a lot recently about what do you teach a child coming into this world? Because I was raised in organized religion and mostly I feel it was my parents who taught me compassion, kindness. It was their parenting, not anything to do with an organized, going to Sunday school on Sundays, I don't Mm -hmm. truly think had anything to do with (laughs) <laughs> learning to be a good human in society for me particularly but now when i think about how i can teach a child to survive in this world in the most you know beautiful way but also understanding what you just said where it's like i'm right in the middle like i love the science but I, there's also a little bit of like wanting to believe in whatever a higher power and a spiritual and i do believe there is something but but What do you feel when you say collective consciousness or that, you know, Mm -hmm. what I do is ultimately can reflect on you or help you and even Mother Earth and nature, like Mm. as a scientist, is it like we're all part of the same stuff like stardust? I always say like my therapist used to say stardust in a meat suit, like we're just stardust in a meat suit. But everybody is. I mean, or like what what is it for you that. Like, are you okay with death? Like, what what is it for mm-hmm. you that sort of makes you feel okay about mm-hmm. this this life? So I think it's a tricky one.
0: I've been thinking about it recently, which is really weird because I haven't told anyone at all. So the fact that you're asking <laughs> yes. me this question is, yeah. Exclusive
2: um, with Dr. Tara. Exclusive.
0: <laughs> I think as a doctor, and as, no, more as a scientist than a doctor, because I will say... I never ever give any of my friends or family false hope when they come to me with a medical problem, but I have seen miracles as a doctor. So, you know, and I've like delivered babies and that's a miracle. So um, it's really strange because, you know, I did leave medicine thinking there are a lot of facts that I know about health that I can use to help people like now, you know, not as a practicing clinician, but but I literally have seen people go completely against the odds. So there's something you know, more than those facts for sure. As a scientist, you need proof for everything. And it's really quite difficult to prove the existence of God. So I think that is the area that it, those two things don't sit together very well. But in terms of the energy of our consciousness, um, how we are all impact. So, Let me give you an example of something that's happened in the last year. At the beginning of the pandemic, there was a global phenomenon of vivid dreaming. Whoa. Now that hasn't happened since the two world wars. I didn't know this.
2: What? Did you have have weird dreams last night? I had crazy dreams. Yeah. And so did all my friends. Yeah. But we just thought it was anxiety disorder because a lot of my friends have
1: panic and anxiety.
0: Well, look, we were all anxious. We, it was, you know, we were in an unprecedented situation. We, I don't think any of us realized how long it was going to go on. But nope, <laughs> it was a real equalizer because I thought, you know, someone in a village in Indonesia is experiencing the same emotions as me. It was, it was you know, it was, read about it. There was a good article in the New York Times about the vivid dreaming in the Second World War.
2: Oh, my God, I'm definitely going to read this. Wow, I had no idea.
0: And it's actually happening again now, because now we're starting to unwind a bit, or it's been over a year. So it's interesting, because it didn't really last the whole time, but it happened in March last year, and it's happening again a bit now. And actually, having said I'm not religious, I was brought up Hindu. There was a There's a phrase in the Hindu Vedas that says, you are a drop in the ocean, and the ocean in a drop. And I always said, I get the fact that I'm a drop in the ocean. I get the fact that my life is transient and you know, there's billions of people on the planet and there you know, have been and will be more people in my life. It will just be a dot in that. I completely get that. But I couldn't understand the, you are the ocean in a drop. Yeah. And it was only when I started doing more of the spiritual research for writing the source. And then, and then to be honest, the, the response to the source was the thing that gave me validation that said, it's okay to be a scientist and want to know about these things and believe in these things and live your life in that way. Is that I sort of thought, you know, we've all been in a situation maybe where we've been cheated on, but maybe we've been the person that's made somebody else cheat as well. You know, we've been a daughter, but one day we'll be a mother. One day we'll be a grandmother. So I think if you think about all those archetypes of a man or a woman, or some of them don't depend on gender, you may have been very different things at different times of your life. So, you know, when when you're happily married, you sort of say like, oh, you know, so-and-so is having an affair. But how do you know that you would never, ever do that? You know, can can everyone that's listening to your podcast really say that they've never, ever done that? So... I think it's those sort of, you know, as a woman, I look at things like, you know, the crone, the maid, the wife, mm-hmm. the mother, the, you know, and elements of all of those are in us or through our life, we will transition through those things. So that's kind of how I've made sense of it. Um, and even with this negative energy transfer, you know, the way that Lacey puts it is we've all been jealous of someone at some point because we're human. Right. Um, But then when you know that somebody's jealous of you, it hurts so much and you feel like, how could they do that? So I think it's really being able to put yourself into another person's brain. That's the scientific way of saying something that I think is far more spiritual than the way that I- It's like empathy
2: with that being said and with manifestation work. And also just that I think it's important for people listening too, because this is something I would say throughout my whole 20s, Until I really started a deep dive into reading a lot about not self-help, but just all the things, even the archetypes you're talking about, women who run with the wolves, and just sort of really trying to understand who we are and why we're here. Mm -hmm. In the times of suffering, how do you not get discouraged or even burnt out? Like if you're visualizing the exact same life you want every day for a year, because it can take a long time to change your brain has been wired one way for your whole life. So to, to change the neurons and reprogram them, it takes a while. How do you stop from getting burnt out? I think everything you've asked is,
0: is connected. So the fact that yeah, I didn't answer your question earlier, and I know people will say she didn't answer that about, how you know, <laughs> am I okay with death? So because I'm, was brought up Hindu, I believe in reincarnation. Um, it was such a fact in my in my family growing up, it was like a complete fact. It was, it was blind faith, which isn't, you know, doesn't suit a scientist, but it was true. I was told that I was my grandmother reincarnated and I'd follow my father around the house and say, but daddy, how do you know that I'm her? And he'd say, "You know, just as I know that you've got big brown eyes, I know that you're her. So although I found it kind of curious, I kind of believed it or at least saw that he definitely absolutely believed it. So when my husband's mother passed away at the grand old age of 98, and actually on her birthday, and he's Catholic, she was a devout Catholic. Wow. Um, Yeah. And he was going to speak at her funeral. I said to him, in Hinduism, we believe that if you die on your birthday, you've achieved Nirvana and you never have to be born again and suffer again. Wow. And that gave him so much comfort. And he actually said that in the Catholic church, because because it must have meant that much to him um so i really do feel very blessed to be hindu because there are a lot of things like that that make you feel better about life and death and you know um, but how do so, you know <laughs> yeah you don't you don't know but if you believe it strongly then it the thought of you know even losing a loved one is less painful because For example, you know, for my father, I think there was only a year or a year and a half between his mother dying and me being born, that as far as he's concerned, that pain was completely washed away because he got her back. Like you and I might not believe that, but for him, I mean, wouldn't you want that if you could have that? Uh, Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Um, So I think the answer to your other six part question basic, <laughs> <laughs> is that suffering actually ends when you stop wanting things to be different to how they are
2: mm.
0: so although i'm a believer in manifestation it's always a nice to have not a need to have um oh yeah so yeah it would be great if that happened but i'm not going to be unhappy if it doesn't happen um right. and i think you know, particularly after getting divorced, and that was from my late 20s to my sort of mid thir- mid to late 30s, the experience of losing something that I thought was going to last forever was so devastating. But what I learned in the years after that is that I could have made it less devastating by reframing it in my mind. So I I think that answers all the parts of your your question.
2: Actually, that was like, I'm going to go back and listen to this because that was like, it kind of took away any question I had. That really just solidified everything for me that you have to be happy right now and you can aspire to those things, but being completely okay and acceptance, I guess the word acceptance and mindful, because that's the whole thing with mindfulness, right? You're, you're in the present moment. You're eating your food, you know, you're walking and feeling your feet down. There's, you don't want to change anything about that. You're just in the moment. And I think, I mean, Eckhart Tolle, I mean, all, all the, uh, you know, spiritual teachers of our day, not scientists necessarily, but would I think say the same thing as sort of the way to happiness, right?
0: Yeah, and you've actually reminded me of one line in the book that I don't think about often, which is things make sense later, sometimes a lot later. And that is so true that if you put that together with the Native American Indian cyclical concept of time, then you could think that, you know, a huge loss for me now, like a, a bereavement or a divorce or, you know, an ill health, somewhere, somehow in the future, well, even if it's like five or 10 years in the future, it will make sense. Again, you have to believe that. But if you do, and you have the patience to wait. And I'm not saying I have the patience, but I have a few experiences of things making sense at like a decade later. That when you're suffering, you know, and we're all going to suffer if we have a loss, like let's not pretend that's not going to happen at all. But if you kind of know that at some point this will make some kind of sense, you know, maybe it's a relationship breaks up, but later you find out that, you know, either you're with somebody that's much better for you or, you know, that person goes through something that you would have been going through with them, whatever it is, um, I think that's worth holding onto. It's sort of like in my experience and therefore wisdom, I've seen that happen. So, you know, there's, there are times where we all say like, why is this happening to me? And why? And why me? If you could have the answer right then, it could have (laughs) alleviated all your suffering. But I love this idea of the cyclical nature of time. There's no, nothing, there's not even science that says that time is linear. Right. So we need to be open to you know other interpretations of time. So, I think that God, I'd love to tap into that stuff more. But um, oh, I read Braiding the Sweetgrass by the way, after you recommended it.
2: Oh my gosh, one of my favorite books of all time. Well, that's I mean, speaking of the sort of indigenous spirituality and the science, because she's technically. An academic or a version of a scientist, uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer, who wrote Braiding Sweetgrass*. If you're listening, you should read this book. It. I gave it to my whole family at the beginning of the pandemic. It really got me through those first few months of the pandemic in a way that made me feel connected to like the strawberry plant I had, and I would never look at strawberries differently after the chapter on strawberries. And it, it like you're saying, it just the cyclical nature of of us all it made me feel more connected and and i think that's why like gardening was so everybody during the pandemic picked up connection to their food and to nature and to the earth and you know like you're saying maybe five to ten years later we'll look back on it and be like that was the catalyst that made us all need to protect mother earth from climate change because we all realized how connected we are to her and how important it is but um i'm so glad you read that book we need to do like a harmonics we've talked about it a harmonics book club because it would be so cool like, because you read it to like have you come on and we do like an Instagram live or something where we talk about the book. Like I, I love book clubs and I had one for a while, but people move. So, you you've, want, you so you've lined
0: up a part two of a, a, a private coaching session for a, yourself a, a and pu- a book
2: club. Yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs> and a book club. And if you and if you want to come to Hollywood and do a, a two person <laughs> woman, like two woman, uh, two hander on Broadway, I'm down for that too. <laughs> Okay, I can't take, uh, we'll we'll hopefully do a part two. We could talk more, but I want to do our final questions with you that we ask everybody. So, you can only bring three records with you to a deserted island, what would they (laughs) be and why? (laughs) I know, it's a really hard question. Okay, I definitely have to have one of the Beatles. I think you're the first person who said the Beatles, which is
1: shocking to me because like, yeah. Duh, the Beatles. <laughs> is it because I'm the first
2: British person or have
0: you had a British guest before?
2: Oh my gosh, no, you are the first British person. That's so stereotypical. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Beatles. I was just reading an article actually about them the other day and I was like, I can't believe nobody said the Beatles. So I'm glad mm. you, you said that.
0: Um sorry, I'm gonna take some time now. Just trying to
2: think. Because this ahead. is really
0: important. <laughs> um, oh, I take I take a Karen Carpenter album.
2: Oh yes. I love The Carpenters, yes. Mm,
0: yeah, The Carpenters. And Ben, I'm gonna just be really honest and say I would take a Beyonce album.
2: I mean, there's no shame in that. If I was on a deserted island, I would need some Beyonce <laughs> yeah. telling me to like, get my ass making a fire and catching fish. <laughs> That's, those are good three. I'm gonna go listen to all that today. Um, what
1: subject do you Google the most? That's. A, I'm going to give a really boring answer because it's going to have to be neuroscience related subjects.
2: I'm actually shocked that it is. I thought yours would be like so opposite, like not neuroscience for some reason. It's that so. In- I love asking people this question.
0: I mean, if you said apart from for work reasons, because because you know I do right. a lot of research because you're researching. I'm
2: researching. Okay, so yeah. what would it be apart from work?
0: Apart from work, it would be. That whole spiritual realm, so things like Sufi mysticism, Kabbalah, um, cool. indigenous you know beliefs and stuff like that. So that's my like that's the stuff that I love personally. Um, and I actually think they kind of go together, but the truth is, I spend most of my time researching neuroscience.
2: I spend most of my time with all of the above. Any sort of like brain healing, mysticism, all of yeah. that, I would say I Google yeah. the most too. Okay, the Dolly Parton question. We do a Dolly question every episode. So true or false, Dolly Parton declined the presidential medal of freedom from former President Donald Trump on two occasions.
0: (laughs) I'm not American, so I'm gonna have to completely guess. But I'm gonna say yes, because I believe she would. She
2: did, because we love her, because she's St. Dolly and she's the best human ever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very proud of you for being British and knowing that. Oh. By the way, speaking of being British, we only went to London once. Speaking of the Beatles, this is a good story. I've never told. So my husband and I, about 10 years ago, read Patty Boyd's. I read Patty Boyd's autobiography. She was with Eric Clapton and George Harrison. There was like this sort of love triangle, but she grew up with the Beatles and Eric Clapton. And we really wanted to write a screenplay about her life. And I really wanted to play her. And I just reached out on a whim. And she said, yeah, come to my flat and have tea. And so Michael and I flew to London, but it was my first time in London. And it was like, it's still one of my fl- favorite places in the world. And I have not been able to go back since 10 years ago. So maybe I'll come visit once COVID's over and, yes, and we please. can totally. But Definitely. to sit there and have tea with her, Michael and I still talk about it and hear her stories of like, the Beatles and Eric Clapton in her flat, like surrounded by it. it was it was so cool. We never ended up being able to write the screenplay with her, but it would have been so cool. It's never too um,
0: late in
1: your
2: own words. It's never too late. I'd have to play her older now. But <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to b- play the mid 30s version of her as opposed to like the 19, 20 year old. Um, OK, final question is the blank room exercise. So close your eyes. Go into a blank room. What are you hearing?
0: Oh, no, it's a
1: really weird answer. What's that music in the exorcist movies? Theme? <laughs> That's my favorite answer anyone's given so far for what are you hearing? Okay, what are you smelling? Do <laughs>
2: you know
0: what I mean, though? The tubular bells. Oh, I do know yeah, what you yeah, yeah. mean, and <laughs> yeah. it's
2: hilarious.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> what, what am I smelling? Oh I'm smelling peonies. I
1: love peonies. Ooh. What are you tasting? Chocolate.
0: Obvious mm. answer. <laughs> what are you touching? Something like I'm really into texture. So like a really soft furry blanket.
2: Mm. What are you seeing? <laughs> Blank room. Groom a few people have said that and i'm like maybe we should take that question away because like you're in a blank room um that was amazing thank you so much i can't wait for all of our our endeavors we have ahead together
0: especially our our broadway show (laughs) thank you so much you're such a good host because
2: you really got things out of me that i've never ever said before i'm so happy you know it's i've realized the more i do this that like someone said to me at the bar actually the other day, like you get really personal on your podcast. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, I guess it just, but if I want you to be personal with me or I want to connect with you, then how could I, without sort of owning up to my own shit, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I have to, in order to connect. So I'm glad. Thank you for sharing everything with us. Cause, and when they read the book too, I mean, it really is you'll read it. You'll be so, you won't be able to put it down. Like it's the only book in the past 10 years that I've read in one day, like wow. all day sat there. And then I have to go back. Like even last night I was going through where I had highlighted and marked and stuff. And it was like so good. I was like, Oh, I need to do like a really deep dive, sit down again and, and do it. And then we'll get, oh, no, I want to coach and yeah, it's going to be with you coaching me. It'll be well i'll be on snl hosting you guys wait in two years give dr Tara and i cheers that's my manifest goal <laughs>
0: Hosting well, SNL. hang on hang on if you now
2: taken on like
0: a two-year therapy two-year therapy program do you
2: mind <laughs> <laughs> you're not that busy right you're just blowing up all over the world and at mit and but do you think we could be personal could you be my personal guru i think that should be
1: our broadway show You know, like like Esther Perel's couple therapy.
2: (laughs) Oh, my God. That would be awesome, actually. You know, there might be something to this Broadway show idea in a a real way. In a really weird Um, way. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Isn't she amazing, you guys? I just love Dr. Tara. Thank you so much for being on the show. You are my hero. You know I'm going to be calling you about all the things, our Broadway show... I mean, everything. I just want you in my life always. Go out, you guys, and buy the source. I'm telling you, don't just buy it and read it. Do it. Do the things she tells you. It will make your life so much happier. And the cool thing is, is like even just applying one tool she gives you in the book per month to start slow. I know y'all are busy and things are hard with the pandemic, but just try to apply one tool you heard on this podcast from her or go buy her book and apply one of the tools, even the action board. I love, love the action board. I look at it every morning when I wake up and every night before I go to bed. And I mean, it really gets into your subconscious. I truly believe that, you know, we have the power, as you've seen through science, to change our brain and our life. I am just so grateful that she's bringing this incredible science-based work to the world in a way that people that aren't maybe as woo-woo hippie as some of us can understand from a science perspective that this actually works and it's worth committing to. So thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week. Woo-woo! This episode of Harmonics was produced and edited by Chris Jacobs and is only possible with the superb leadership of executive producer Amy Reitnauer Jacobs, research producer Courtney Locks, and the entire team over at the Bluegrass Situation. Don't forget to subscribe to the Harmonics newsletter for giveaways and special updates from yours truly over at harmonicspodcast.com. Theme music by Allison Russell. Discover more at Allison Russell Music on Instagram and wherever you stream your music. I'm your host, Beth Baird. Until next time, always remember that creativity is healing and healing is creative. Harmonix is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening.